You've got the mic. Anything you'd like to say? Just the process. Hello and welcome back to Processing from the UK, your UK um, 76ers based podcast. So obviously we'll address the elephant in the room from straight off the bat. It's been a while, so hopefully we are back with a bang. We apologize on that front, but obviously when you can't do this full time, inevitably other things have to come first and get in the way, but we do apologize. As always with me is Bobby Healy, Sixers Bobby. Say hello, Bobby. Hello, how are you? You know what? It's um, it's been an interesting, <laughs> interesting few uh, few weeks, few months since we last spoke. Since we last spoke, Ben Simmons was still on the Philadelphia seventy sixers, so we have a lot to catch up on. But yeah, I'm doing okay. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, it's this team is. It's like as you say, we've it's been a while since we last recorded. We do apologise, but it's like crazy how much can change and I mean I say crazy I mean things change with this team every week it feels like but it's it's a soap opera so like you say plenty to cover it's nice to be recording again absolutely yeah but I'm so happy to be back and would I be right in thinking you went uh you went stateside since we last saw sorry I did I did I did I, I went to um Florida for Pretty much the entire month, which was which was great. Um, didn't see any Sixers basketball, which is a shame. It's a bit unforgivable, really, going all the way over there and not not catching any of it. But hopefully, we'll get over to Philadelphia at some point. Yeah, no, I mean that sounds class. Did you manage to see uh, any of the? I mean, the Orlando Magic. I can't imagine were too much of an attractive proposition. But uh, did you manage to see any other NBA teams? No, I mean we. It was annoying because the Sixers actually played in Orlando whilst I was out there. Um, and we were planning to get tickets, but we went down to a place called St. Pete's Beach. And by the time that we got back, we got stuck in traffic, so we were, couldn't go, which was very disappointing. But um, no, I didn't get to catch anything else other than obviously just keeping an eye on the Sixers whilst I was out there. Yeah, at least at least you're going to be on the right side of the um, of the times, so you can sit down on a nice sports bar, have a pint, and watch it rather than sitting in your bedroom trying not to keep other people awake and slowly watching. The six yeah. annoy you in the middle of the night, so um, <laughs> that's certainly a much better way to be watching your NBA for sure. So, like yeah. I said, there's an awful lot to catch up on. So we're just gonna have to go and dive straight in. The Harden trade. Where were you? What were your thoughts? Just give me everything, really. I mean, that was just a <laughs> a manic twenty four hour, forty eight hour period because it went from zero to a hundred so quickly. But we finally got there after our first recording together when we talked about the Harden trade way back when we finally got to a period where James Harden's on the Philadelphia 76ers run me through everything oh I mean we got there we got there it was a, a lot later than I'd have liked to have been but we did get there and yeah like like you said it was just so crazy how there was kind of this murmur going around that Harden wasn't very happy at, at Brooklyn but I mean those kind of rumors are just sticking around and then it was like what 24 hours, it just suddenly picked up a bit of steam and then Harden kind of came out and said, no, no, I'm happy, I'm happy. Not that that means anything when an NBA yep. player <laughs> says they're happy um, at the minute. Um, and then it was like a foregone conclusion. It was like, yeah, this is going to happen. It's going to happen before the before the deadline. And then you get the notification from Shams. It's happening. And I mean... We'll obviously go into what we gave up and and how it how it what we had to do to get James. But my initial reaction was, I'm very very happy. Um, it was a little bit later than I wanted it to be, as we discussed in the very first podcast we did. But it happened. It happened. James Harden came. It was, yeah. I mean, I love the trade deadline, so it was very very exciting. I sit there on your phone waiting for those notifications to come up. It, it happened. He's here. I'm happy. I am happy. Yeah. It's um, we got we got the guy. We got the guy in the end. So yeah, I I think you know you've hit the nail on the head. It's all about this is a good move for the Philadelphia 76ers. I and mean, what we're going to dive into in just a moment is the critique and the criticisms that have been lodged towards Harden. I'll preface that by saying those criticisms are fair enough, but I do have a bit of a 
an issue with those, and we'll jump to those in just a moment. But you know, at the end of the day, it was a very good trade, and we'll t- you know, we'll break down you know the moving parts within it. But first, I do need to apologise because on that podcast that we started, up, however long, eighteen months ago, perhaps more than that, I was the one that said, "No, we should stick with Simmons." So I wish. Um, I wish to um, issue an apology because I got that one completely wrong. Um, not not as if I was the deciding factor of Ben Simmons staying or not, but I would like to apologise nonetheless. So we end up with James Harden uh, plus Paul Millsap, who could forget, but um, I, you know, rather he didn't. But he, he came nonetheless, and we mm-hmm. sent Andre Drummond and Seth Curry the other way. Now Andre Drummond, I'm really smug. At the, you know, I actually got it right for once, and I, I said as soon as we signed him. That's a good signing. People were clowning on it. People were like, why are you getting Andre Drummond? But as backup centers go, he was really good. And I really warmed to him. Shame to see him go. Similarly with Seth Curry, um, picks are picks. I mean, naturally, you have to package a couple together. But our picks at the moment, they don't really mean too much because um, we're getting 20 to 30 um, in terms of the first round picks. So we sent those off. Um, and I feel this was mutually beneficial to both teams. I know... A lot of the narratives like to be, oh, who won the trade? Both teams won the trade, as far as I was concerned. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, it couldn't have worked out better for either for either team. I know Ben hasn't played for Brooklyn yet, but I think it was a case of he wanted out. We needed that guy. Brooklyn didn't get completely destroyed by the trade. They actually got, you know, I know we've discussed it. We all know Ben Simmons is a good player. We all know his faults. We don't need to get into them. But he's still a very, very good player to get back. Gives some much, some much more needed defensiveness about him. Um, and for us, we got, we got, you know, we got rid of a guy that didn't want to be there. Was never going to play for us again. That circus is now gone. I know it's. I say gone. It's until he probably eventually plays in Philadelphia. I don't think he's ever going to go away. Truly. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, excuse me, but it's. Um, for for both teams, I think you walk away very very happy. I really do. I think it's we got our missing link, and they got rid of a player that didn't want to be there, and realistically, two much more better role players, and a player that we know is an all star when he decides he wants to play again. So yeah, I think it was a win win. Yeah, um, I think you hit the nail on the head once again. It was both teams came out of that thinking they've done fantastic bit of business. Now the the issue and it wasn't what's taken the best part of five five ten minutes for me to start getting angry. And the issue I took is that when we first had this conversation about what what's the move for Ben Simmons, this was post that game seven against Atlanta when we all knew the writing was on the wall. What is that move? So you had all these people on NBA YouTube, NBA Twitter, um, both here in the UK and states, and I've got nothing but respect for the UK guys. They're absolutely awesome. But they're like, why aren't you trading for CJ? Why aren't you trading for Malcolm Brogdon, Tyrese Halliburton, and De'Aaron Fox? And they were nonstop going on at Philadelphia fans for the Philadelphia head office. Like, what you're doing is terrible. You're wasting Ben Simmons. You're not going to get anything good. You're not going to get anything good. You're not going to get an all-star player like you want. We make the trade. James Harden comes in. Awesome trade. Rather than just turn around and saying, you know what, Dow Murray's done fantastic work here. Fair play there, lads. We got that wrong. You know, have a bit of humble pie and then just move on. They're like, Oh, but the Nets won the trade. So, oh, for goodness sake. Oh, for goodness sake. And it really, that really frustrated me, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the, who wins the trade argument is as boring as anything, and it doesn't make any sense. But for me, even I, you know, we always read in the media and all we heard and online and stuff like that was like you say. It was, you're not getting anything for Ben. Ben's got no trade value anymore. You're just going to have to take some good role players, which... At some point, I was getting to the point where it was like, okay, well, maybe we do have to just accept some good role players. But we didn't budge, and it got us James Harden. And you have to say, Daryl Morey got got what he wanted. I know he's got the connection to James and stuff. Perhaps we wouldn't have got a superstar if it was anyone other than James Harden just because of that connection. But he he didn't budge. Yeah, okay, I know we're just probably going to get into this. Maybe we gave up a little bit more than he probably initially would have wanted. But at the end of the day... We were told Ben Simmons got no trade value. Ben Simmons yeah. is is trash. Ben Simmons, you know, he's not even an NBA basketball player at the minute. Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons. It got us James Harden because we stood firm. You know, I remember rumours with Toronto and we went in stupidly high and stuff like that. But when you set the bar that high and don't budge, that's how you do the negotiations, right? It's like, yeah. well, if it, if it leaked that Dell dropped his price with 
I'm just using the Raptors because I remember there was some discussion, wasn't there, with him over yeah, Ben? Yeah. And if you budge on that, that means you've lost all your leverage against every other team because they know now Daryl's going to drop his price. We all knew he was asking a ridiculous amount for him. But by doing that, it led us to James Harden eventually. So I hate that who won the trade argument. It really yeah. is. I think also as well, when you go back, I think probably about 10 days before we actually made the trade, there was the the trade that was offered from the Pistons of Jeremy Grant, uh, Kelly Olenek and Sadiq Bay, and then a couple picks. We turn it down, and then Twitter erupts. It erupts. Mm-hmm. The, the same old rhetoric, like, what do you think you're doing? Why are you doing this? You're not going to get anything better. Then, of course, 10 days down the line, you get James Harden. And those people, I mean, I just find it astonishing how none of them can just sort of look themselves in the mirror and be like, how am I going to go and make those same criticisms and then come back on here and then act as if nothing's happened? Just own the mistake, but they just seem to double down and double down. So that's the first run out of the way. Now, if we segue <laughs> onto that second one, it is post game seven. No one clowned on Ben Simmons more than the media and other NBA fans. Post game seven, I think Sixers fans were just so devastated that any sort of criticism they could lodge was pretty weakened by the fact that their spirit had been drained. But we all know that we backed Ben Simmons the same way we backed Markel Fultz. And they both received, you know, people like to call Booadelphia, but they both received criticism when it was fair to receive it. Joel Embiid has had that same criticism. And what does he do? He goes out and becomes better because he has more to give. Now, Markel Fultz is just a freak accident. You know, it's just one of the things. Ben Simmons crumbles and all this criticism that he got was completely fair but he crumbles and then all the media jump on his back all the fans from other teams jump on his back they make jokes about him and then as soon as that tweet from shams comes around it is all about how our oh, philadelphia fans have mistreated him they've been terrible towards him now he's the missing piece so like, how has he all of a sudden just become the missing piece to the the brooklyn nets when you have all just outright clowned on him since he got drafted into the league you've all had a go at him for his shooting, more so than Philadelphia fans. And now all of a sudden, he's the Messiah in Brooklyn. And that was one of the things that has really, really grinded my gears. Because again, it's just yeah. like, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Ben Simmons could be fantastic in Brooklyn. I think he will be. But are we just ignoring everything that's happened over the last 18, what, 18 months? More than that, even two, three years? And that, again, is that something, am I going mental? Or is that something that you, you felt quite annoyed about as well? No, I mean, it's, what's the word I want to use? It's boring now. Like, yeah. it actually is boring the way Philadelphia fans are, the narrative against them every single time. It it always happens. And listen, there are parts of fan bases, every fan bases that are not good. They are yeah. not good and they will, you know, abuse players and, and do bad things. Philadelphia being a huge sporting city. It's like the lifeblood of that city. I know we're not from Philadelphia, so I can't speak for them, but it's a, it is the lifeblood of the city. There are a lot of very, very passionate Philadelphia fans, and they are known for letting you know. Now, a lot of those can also overstep the mark. We know that. We see stupidity every week, but the media will then spin that into, that's just Philadelphia. That has to, That's just Philadelphia as a whole. Because of a few idiots that might abuse or do stupid things or whatever that is spun so perfectly by the media to be well, it's Philadelphia's fault. As you say, Markel Fultz, this city absolutely embraced him. Yeah. You know, even when he, uh, even when he semi came back second time round from the injury, there was a yeah. standing ovation for him. There was this, there was a, but yeah, of course there was a few idiots that booed him and, and let him know, but that's not the whole of Philadelphia. And it was the same thing with, with Ben Simmons is, like you say, it just suddenly flipped, and you just end up just sitting here, just rolling my eyes. I'm just like, I can't believe this. Like Ben Simmons was a huge, huge part of why the Sixers crashed and burned last year. Not the only part; he wasn't the main reason. The media spun it that he was the main reason Philadelphia went out of the playoffs last year. And yep. then, like you say, he gets traded, and it was God, God, those fans really let him know, like you know. He's, this is the reason he wanted to leave because of the fans and because of the fans only and because Doc dared to kind of I don't like the way Doc and Joel handled it so much at the end of Game 7 but yeah. I think emotions were high I actually think they held it quite well oh, but yeah they could have easily gone on much exactly, harder exactly and don't get me wrong I, I, there could have been a time and a place to have done that a little bit better especially straight after it he was probably 
not at the top, not top form at the, in his head at the time. It could have been done better, but it, yeah, it it just gets gets to the point where it's almost laughable now. It's like the minute something changes, it's like, oh god, it must have been those Philly fans. Had to be him because you know they're just they're just so outrageous all the time. It, it's boring. I think yeah. that's the word I can use. Hundred percent. And I, I'm not sure if you listened to JJ Reddick's interview with um, Joel Embiid. If so, I'd really yeah. recommend you doing so. And indeed, and the rest of the six fans, even if you're not a Sixer fan as well, I really think it humanizes Embiid. Um, but they were talking about the Philadelphia fans, and they were like, "Well, they are what we are one of the best fan bases in the league, if not the best fan base, because we care." Now you can mm-hmm. go to a team like the Lakers, where half the people there is corporate. Another quarter of those people are celebrities who don't really have much interest in basketball. They wear a Lakers jersey that game. Then when they go up to Boston or they go up to Miami, they'll wear a Miami or Boston jersey there. They have no real affiliation or ties to the team. It's all about what's fashionable. Or if they go to Golden State, for example, it's all about what's fashionable. Then you've got 25% of people who could just about afford what are extortionately priced tickets. And what does that create? An atmosphere of relative apathy. And you find that at a lot of arenas. Um, you'll find that a lot is people are being priced out. People are apathetic. People are going there just for just so they could take a couple Instagram photos or just be part of um, you know an, an a in in crowd event or so to speak. But in Philadelphia, those fans go there because they want to go there and support their team. And yep. you can go to all these other other places and all these other markets where sure they're not going to boo you, but my word, it's not going to be anywhere near as good if you hit those heights that you should be hitting if you've got the ability that we all know you have. And that's all I'd say is that if you persist with places like Philadelphia, and you can see it in football as well, you know, whilst we can talk about how the, how sort of football's become really commodified and as a result, desanitized atmospheres, and as much as I hate Liverpool and Manchester United, they're a real big, you know, the atmosphere when they want it to get going is incredible because people care because there are scousers and those manks will still go to those games. And you see that, and you can compare it to other clubs in the Premier League, I can't think of any top of my head, where it's just a bit dead because there are no stakes, no one's that bothered, and there's just apathy. And you see it in all sports. Now, Chelsea. that's all I'd say. <laughs> there we go, Chelsea. <laughs> we have spoken. Sorry, Chelsea fans. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see what I mean? It's just like, sure, it's going to get volatile, but when you hit those heights that you should be hitting, then it's going to be the best place and the best team to be playing for. Yeah, no, you, you you're completely right. It's um, it is boring. It genuinely is boring. It it gets to the point where, like you say, there was nothing but a, abuse straight up for Ben by the media, like ripping on him, joking on him, just making him like making him the joke of the NBA. Yeah, you and couldn't go on minute, social media and not see anything. Yeah, the minute he goes to a team another team it's wow those those Philly fans man they 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 went on on Ben they went in on him it's like no 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 I remember I can't remember who it was was it an actual NBA show a award show or something and they they ripped on him yeah I remember yeah and you're sitting there and you're going hang on a minute how you've done that on national television I think it was ESPN yeah or something like that and then they go and spin it like yeah I mean I mean I know we can go on but I'm not saying that Philly fans they certainly gave him gave him some, but to pretend like it was all on him and that Philadelphia is some horrendous sporting city that just boos their players is just nonsense at this yeah. point. I think I could summarise it as such. The people that gave Ben Simmons the most support for his time as a sixer were the Philadelphia fans, and the people that gave him the most hate weren't the Philadelphia fans. That's the best yeah. way we could summarise it. Yeah. So now he's gone, Harden comes in, and again, I want to, yeah, that, that does deserve a woo. Um, but I do want to start this off by saying I'm not going to bury my head in the sand and be an ostrich, as Nigel Pearson weirdly put in a oh God, yeah. Premier League interview yonks ago. I'm not sure if anyone will get that reference, but I hope they do. And I'm not just going to say, oh, Han's been great. But people are so keen to latch on to any and all of his failures to the point that they put the blinkers on and then ignore all of his successes. So he started off 5-0, and and I think since then we're now 6-5. and So overall, Harden's about, oh God, quick maths, 11-5 and since coming to Philadelphia, or there or thereabouts. Yeah. But he is made out to be the worst washed player ever, and people are loving it. People will ignore anything he does well. 
So, for example, with that Milwaukee Bucks game, I know we lost, but he had a 32-point outing and was absolutely class. He is currently averaging, if you look at his splits between uh, now and his time in Brooklyn, they're very not very um, different. Um, to the tail end of his time in Brooklyn last season, people thought he was doing really well in the playoffs and he was lauded as potentially even their best player. Um, obviously, the start of this season in Brooklyn wasn't to be. He didn't do well, I'll be the first to admit. And now he comes to Philadelphia. The stats don't change too much, but now he's washed. Now, is James Harden the same player we saw in Houston? Of course he's not. No. But now he's been the facilitator for Joel Embiid in the pick and roll. Now that's created one of the most unstoppable plays in the NBA. But we're just going to ignore that because we just love to rip into James Harden. We're going to ignore his good games and we'll just focus on the bad. Does he need to improve? Absolutely he does. And I expect him to do so. But we're just going to disregard the fact that he spent, what, a month or so in Philadelphia. He's not going to be quite together with the team. He's not going to be gelled. That hamstring is still a very real possibility that it's hampering him somewhat. Maybe he just needs an off-season to gel to recover. But we're not going to allow him that because it's just going to be funny to just have a good old dig at James Harden and a good old dig at the Philadelphia 76ers. Am I bitter or have I got that relatively on point? <laughs> Why do you say how you feel, mate? Why didn't you say how you feel? Um, no, I agree. I think, listen, James Harden's one of the most hated players in the league. Always has been. He's he's either got, you know, hardcore lovers or he's just hated by everyone else. And I, I, I get it because he spent years frustrating the life out of other teams, right? He yeah. is an outstandingly good foul baiter. He is, he, he's played the system for years. He shoots a lot of free throws. So he's got a lot of people that thinks he's not good for the game. All right? And then when you put him on a team with another elite, arguably <laughs> the next best foul beta and, and free throw shooter and, and just being a pest, just intelligent plays in, in the paint, hmm. it's causing Philadelphia to go from already pretty much a, a hated team to easily the most hated team now just because box score lookers and just people that just hate for the sake of hating are feeling like they're being proved right and Philadelphia are unwatchable. As Philadelphia fans, we don't care how the points go. Well, I don't care. You know, if yeah. they, you know, we can go into the fouls and, uh, fouls and stuff like that in a bit. But I think with Harden is I think he has spent, you know, especially at Houston being that guy. He was that guy. If he, if he wasn't scoring what, between 30 and 50 points a night, then Houston just weren't winning. Yeah. Like, it just wasn't happening. It was, everything had to run through him. Then in Brooklyn, he had a lot of injuries, um, but he had to give up the ball a little bit more. Now in Philly, he's come here, and you're, you're completely right. There are parts of his game that aren't quite there at the minute. Yeah. Um, I think the hamstring, I don't want to make excuses. It, it might not be the hamstring, but he seems to have just lost a step at the minute. He's not blowing by people. That could be an age thing. It could be a hamstring, it could be both. Who knows? But he's not quite got that first step, you know, with the way you just tear past someone without even blinking. That seems to have just reduced a little bit. But what I've seen from James Harden is he's come here to be a teammate. And yeah. I've, I've seen the guys averaging like 10 point something assists a game. He's come here as a team first player. Now, I think a lot, a big part of that is I think he needs his big man. I think he wants to help him. I don't think he wants to come in and upset Embiid, especially on a tear he's been on all season, especially as his MVP conversation. If he comes in and just goes pure ISO, I'm not, I don't care about Joe, I'm going to go back to Houston ball. He's probably going to end up pissing off his teammate, the MVP candidate, and things just won't work. He's come here so far and yes, things part of his game needs fixing, there's no doubt about it, but... He's been passed first and almost frustratingly passed first. There yeah. are times where I'm just like, come on, James, be you, be you. Like, I, I, you don't have to pass the ball. Just, just, <laughs> I just want to see you dribble and do a step back free. But yeah. I don't think that's the James Harden that's come here at the minute. We might see that more as he settles into games. I hope we see a little bit more in the playoffs because if he's being passed first and maybe teams, I don't know, might not give him the attention that he gets, you know, most of the time he gets the ball, he gets so much attention, it leaves someone open. So it's so important that that remains. Um, but yeah, I, I think so far he's come to, to Philadelphia as, as pure team first. And again, the narrative is now, oh, he's not been very good for Philly. He's been trash. He's lost a step. He's not the player he used to be. It's like, which one was it? Because when he joined Philadelphia, he said, oh, how's he going to play with Joe? He's a, he's a, he's a, 
he's a hard and first kind of guy. He's gonna is he gonna be prepared to be the second guy on the team almost? And then he is, and now he's trashed for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that frustration again. Yeah, and I think you know that again. If we're trying to summarize this, there's been for as every bad moment Harden has, I think there's been at least one to make up for it so far in his Sixers tenure, and I expect him to improve. Um, don't get me wrong, there are certain times, like you said, when he has to switch on a big man and he doesn't take it to him, doesn't blow past him, or he doesn't do a step back over him and really punish them. There are some times where there's a catch-and-shoot opportunity and he seems a bit hesitant. But I think this is all stuff that's just going to come when he gets more comfortable with his teammates. Yeah. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's got to give him a bit of time. And now we're in a position where we can really, around Joel and around James, we can start to really create a more more fine-tuned title-winning cycle. We're not the finished article. We really aren't. And that's going to take us on to something we're going to talk about a bit later. Um, but just in the interest of talking about more conspiracy theories and agendas, the MVP conversation. Now, again, I need to start this off before people jump down my throat. <laughs> I need to start this off by saying, Yanis, if Nikola Jokic or Yanis win it, I have no issue with that. I have no issue with them winning it because they've both been fantastic in their own right. The issue I have is that anything Joel Embiid does gets swept to the side, that it just gets disregarded, that no one talks about it. I um, I regularly listen to the Zach Lowe podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. I'm a really big fan of Zach Lowe and the guests he has on. They were talking about the MVP conversation and they mentioned him just almost as, a, as if someone had a gun to their head to say, mention Joel Embiid and then never talk about him for the rest. It was like that. And then he starts bringing up Vorp. And then Nick Wright, who, ironically, I, I really despise. He, I'm not sure if you saw the clip where he just shows the shortcomings of Vorp and all those advanced stats. Because if you use Vorp as a sole metric, Mitchell Robinson is better than Jason Tatum. It's useful to, useful to use these stats. But it's almost just like hipster statistics has taken over the NBA. And if you don't agree with the numbers, then you don't know basketball. Which is complete and utter nonsense. They can complement one another. You don't have to, they're not at odds one another. You can use stats, you can use the eye test, and then you meet somewhere in the middle, not fully go one side, fully go to the other. And that really frustrates me, to be quite honest. It's just disregarding everything Embiid does. Giannis this last week has been incredible. He gave, uh, you know, he did an awesome block. He did a good, a good block on Embiid to win the game. And then he goes and hits that three over Brooklyn. And those two games in 82 game season, and all of a sudden put him back into the MVP race, which is understandable. Fair enough. That's how it works. But the media influences the MVP conversation and the media is showing a blatant disregard to everything Joel Embiid has done. Every, as Everywhere you look, it's Jokic or Giannis, Jokic or Giannis. Like, we just dropped 44 points, 17 rebounds, five blocks. No one's talking about it. Like I just That's the frustrating thing. I have no issue losing it if it's on a level playing field where everyone's had their moment to shine because the media needs to give them that platform. And to be quite frank, I just don't think we've been given that. I don't think Joel Embiid has been given that. No, and <clears throat> yeah, without going to conspiracy, I, I, I just think for the NBA, Joel Embiid winning MVP is the worst thing that can happen to them because of the the process. You know, he named the tanking thing and called himself after that. Like it was almost embarrassing for the NBA and I do think there is a part to play in that. I, I just think that Silver and Co just they they don't like him and they don't like us like I, I just don't think it's something they want to happen after he kind of mocked the league in the yeah. way he nicknamed himself but going back to the MVP conversation is like you say any one of those three are worthy MVP winners. You will not hear me crying if Jokic wins it. You will not hear me crying if Giannis wins it. They are MVP candidates through and through, and they deserve to win if they win. But you are right in that, it for me, MVP, it's most valuable player, right? It's what they're doing to their team. You know, Yes, there needs to be stats involved. But if we're talking about these advanced stats stuff like that, to me, that's not MVP. That's not MVP. It's in the name. It shouldn't be as hard. It shouldn't have to go into these advanced metrics to find a way to cancel out Embiid over Jokic. It shouldn't happen. It should be way more obvious than this. And uh, it's so frustrating because Embiid, if, if he loses out... It, if they're portraying it, sorry, in the media as this is it, this is three 
three horse race. It's good. It's one of these three. It's so, so close. And he loses out. I'd have been like, fine. I'm gutted for him because whether he has another season like this, I don't know. I'd love to think he did. But this is his best chance. But if he loses out, but what has happened in the last couple of weeks is Embiid's played, you know, I think he's had one off game, but the rest yeah. of it, he's still putting up those numbers consistently. And suddenly it's like, oh, he's got Harden now, so forget it. He's dropped into third and now no one's talking about him and the media's thrown him out of the conversation. And you just think, that's, in my eyes, it's gone. It's not going to happen now. The media have yeah, completely dumped him out of the race. And I wouldn't mind if he suddenly had a bad run of form where he was getting 18, 20 points and struggling out there. It is going to cost you, even though it's a season-long award. There are regency, There is regency bias behind it. I understand that. It's annoying, but I understand it. Yeah. But he's carried on putting his numbers and then he puts up, like you say, a monster game against the Cavs. And somehow, I think someone tweeted about it this morning. They said, somehow the day after the Cavs game, Embiid's odds were actually worse than they were before it. How yep. is this happening? It's not fair. Like, you know, I don't want to sound like, oh, you know, like a little crybaby. Yeah. It's fine if he loses out, but it should, the media should be talking about all three of them on the exact same level. Because in my eyes, it, it's that close this season between the three of them. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's just about making sure it's a fair fair race, yeah. isn't it? It's no one's got an issue with well, neither of us have an issue with Jokic or Giannis winning. All we want is that at the start line, no one's getting hindered, that they're all going from yeah. the same level, and then whoever finishes first finishes first. And I I don't think we're getting that currently, and that's it is a real shame to see. Um, but yeah, those advanced stats. I mean, we could talk about Raptor, LeBron, Vorb. Oh, I mean. To be quite frank, a lot of it goes straight over my head, but it's been they're useful indicators, but they're not the be all end all. I think is is what is my take is on the advanced stats. So for me, disregarding the advanced stats would be basically disregarding Jokic's claim, and Jokic has a very solid claim, and I don't want to try and pretend as if he doesn't. He definitely does, and I think that's what I'm trying to put across. This all three of these men have very legitimate claims to the MVP, but only two of them are getting the ability to actually show their worth because of the way in which the media is framing it. And then we have we have that interview that Joel does with JJ Reddit, which I've already you know said, if, if people haven't listened to it, I really recommend doing so. And it really humanized Joel. It really showed that all he wants to do is just have a bit of a laugh with players. He said, despite his scuffles with Kevin Durant or Patrick Beverly, he's got a lot of respect for them. He's real big fans of them. And he gets on with them behind closed doors. It's just competitors being competitors. But again, somehow well, this gets framed as a bad thing. He even goes as far as to say, where's Giannis? You know, where's Giannis in this um, top three player debate? Where's one of his direct yeah. direct competitors in the MVP race? He's been keeping it as real as possible and saying, where is this guy? He's absolutely fantastic. You know, finals MVP, two-time MVP. He's absolutely fantastic. And that's just to show you how real he is. And ironically, Twitter hates the guy who's most like Twitter, if that makes sense. Yeah. They hate on the guy who's the one that's going to crack out a few jokes, have a bit of a giggle, which I just find completely ironic because he's the most... It's just Twitter in a person. NBA Twitter in a person. He is, I'm going to have a little giggle, I'm going to have a bit of a laugh at other people's expense, and I'm just going to have a good time. But they, whatever reason, they don't like the manifestation of NBA Twitter in an NBA player for whatever yeah. reason. Um, but also, it's like yeah, go on. this has been this has been his most mature season. He's really put the the, the silliness away for most of the season. Like he's, I think he said it midway through the season is he had to grow up a little bit because he knew that now he was heading this team, especially with Ben not playing. He knew that this was his team. I mean, it's always been his team, but he knew he had to carry the team up until the Harden trade. It was all on him, and it, it still really is on him in terms of any kind of championship hopes. I've seen a maturity from him this year. Yeah, he's done it. Yeah. He, he still laughs and smiles and, you know, him and Durant were jawing at each other. But I loved that. I loved that. I love watching two great players just going at each other like that. I think it's great because it means respect, in my opinion. Yeah, and I do think like, they both respect each other. I mean, I always think back with the All-Star selection, as in the draft thing, Kevin Durant chose Joel Embiid first. That's a guy he respects. Yeah. That's a guy who he values. On the court, they're going to have a bit of a verbal battle. But off the court, I mean... There's that level of respect. So you think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, sorry, go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's like, it, yeah, no, it's it, he's almost become more mature. He's the best he's ever been. He's played more games than he's ever played. He's answered all of those questions that are about Joel. Is, is he going to take it seriously and get better? He has. Is he going to get in better shape? He has. Is he going to play more than a certain amount of games this season? He has. Can he do it without Ben Simmons? Yes. Now he's not being spoken about as an MVP. It's so weird to me. 
it's so weird how it's just out of nowhere. You know, for a, a large chunk of the season, it was only Embiid. Yeah, it was only Embiid. He was clear in a way, and I get it. Other players have got better and hit their stride, and now we're talking about other players. That's completely fine with me. But it's like he still. It's almost like he consistently played that way, and now he's dropped out of the race. It, to me, it's over. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. mean to sound like a pessimist, but I think the minute the media have dropped out of discussing it, it's 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 game over. And no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and it was that straw poll which felt like almost a nail in the coffin, didn't it? Because I just didn't see how yeah. it would get better following that. Uh, so what we're going to move on to now. So what I've written down on my on my notes is current state of affairs, and I think the current state of affairs couldn't be personified better than in that Cavs game. So in that Cavs game, you have JB Bickerstaff coming out afterwards complaining that. You can't defend the free throw line. It's like, well, the thing is, JB, the, the trick to to um, addressing that issue is don't foul people. And I, I put it on my Twitter. It's it's the basketball equivalent of playing against Mohamed Salah. You're the left back against Mohamed Salah. And every time Mohamed Salah gets into the box, you're two footing from behind. Mohamed Salah scores four penalties. And then you have a go afterwards. You can't defend the penalty spot. It's like, well, the, don't foul him then. Don't foul Salah. <laughs> don't foul Embiid. Don't foul Harden. And you're going to be okay. You know, it's you know, Occam's razor is the is this idea that the simplest explanation is often the correct one. Now, either there's a big NBA conspiracy whereby Philadelphia 76ers are getting all the foul calls due to some sort of bias, which that's just not true. Or or JB Bickerstaff, you're just fouling our guys. <laughs> what what's the most likely thing here? And that's you know what happened. Harden got a 21 point triple double, but still got criticised. Efficient <laughs> efficiency um, wasn't brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but if you, you know people who watch that game, they would have seen in the fourth quarter he was integral to that with the, making the correct basketball play um, and just being a fantastic point guard in a more traditional sense. Um, so yeah, I just feel like the Cavs game really personified everything that's gone on with the Sixers of late. We've had Harris being up and down, but from behind the three point line. So how do you see the Philadelphia 76ers as currently structured? Um, well, going back to your first point, I make you right, is stop fouling. It's that simple. And I saw someone reply on Twitter and it got loads of likes. It was like, well, yeah, all right, we don't foul. And then they get an easy route to the basket. I'm like, yes, that's what makes them good. That's what <laughs> makes them good. Like, don't get me wrong. We all know. We all know there's some soft whistles here and there. It's, it's dark arts. That. It's the dark arts of basketball. Every yes. good player in history knows the dark arts. Yep. It, 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 you're absolutely right. It's, I get it can be frustrating. I understand as a Philadelphia fan, we're going to sit there and say we love it. There are some soft whistles. There are some that you go, you feel oh, we've got, got away with one there. But that's because they are so good at what they do. Um, so, yeah, he. I mean, the Cavs, Cavs coach can, I think it's just pathetic, really, that yeah. he has to come out and say that. Um, and the thing is, especially for Harden, is he's not getting those whistles anywhere near as much as he used to, which is fine with me. You know, it means that we are probably getting a, a little bit more fair whistles. Some, he's not even getting called that are blatant fouls. So the league has definitely clamped down on that kind of soft, very, very soft whistle that Harden used to get every single time he drove. He's not getting them as much. Um, just stop fouling, please. It's boring. Stop talking yeah. about it. Get better on defence or just shut up. It's, it's that simple. Yeah, it is. And I think what annoys me is... Um... What annoys me about this is obviously the people that are complaining is like, oh, the Embiid wouldn't have would only have this amount of points per game if free throws didn't exist. It's like, well, free throws are part of the game. Again, if we're bringing it back into a football sense, you know, when Luis Suarez had his amazing season or Aguero or whoever else, you don't be like, oh, but only 10, 10 of those goals were penalties. So they don't count. It's like, well, they do. They're all goals. They're all points. Those count. That You can't just disregard them, um, as Joel put on, on yeah, his Yeah, and also... Yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah, and also if if you're not fouling, if he doesn't go to the free throw line, what's the alternative? The ball's probably going through the net. Mm. So, you know, what are you moaning at here? If he got 12 points from the line and you didn't foul him and you just let him get up his shot, the likelihood is that 12 points are probably going to happen through through scoring yeah. anyway. Exactly. Um, it, it's um, Yeah, I just find it in, incredibly funny. And I must also say, if this was happening against us, if Harden and Bede sort of thing was happening against us, I would hate it as well. I would find it supremely annoying, but there has to be an acceptance that what they are doing is just being really good at the dark arts of basketball, being really good at drawing fouls illegally, and then 
you taking the bait because you don't know how to guard them one-on-one. It is as simple as that. So the playoff picture. I don't want the Brooklyn Nets first round. I think it's really weird how that one to four, all of them could, your award for being in that top two could be the Brooklyn Nets. I would assume you're in a similar boat to me there. Is it Brooklyn Nets, the team you want to avoid at all costs, not just in the first round, but as the far away down the line as possible? I'd say yes. I mean, that that game that we played, I think we played to the occasion. I don't think we played yep. anything like as well as we could. They They just, they came in. I was actually incredibly incredibly impressed and I actually got to say even though it, with Ben sitting there on the sideline cheering off the bench it got, got to me a little bit but you watched Kevin Durant walk into that arena and show you how to play when you're hated no one plays better in a toxic environment than Kevin Durant he's frightening so he's so scarily good at being the villain you know a lot of players when they become the villain they shrink you know especially in a place like Philly it's hostile you know that 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 night was a toxic environment and KD came in and just said, I don't care. He got into Embiid's head. He got into everyone's head. He he owned us that night. So no, I don't fancy the Nets in the first round. I, I, it's, especially as a first round reward, that is a hell of a punch in the face because they are that good. In recent weeks, I think we started to see a little bit more human side to them again because when Irving was allowed to play again, I was like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. Yeah. Like We're in trouble now. But they've kind of come back down to earth a little bit more and they've shown that they are unbeatable. But yes, I would agree. That's it's, For any team, that is nasty for the first round. It, it just seems... No, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, there's, there's a very, very real chance that anyone that faces them in the first round is going out in the first yeah. round. And I, I just think it's so convenient if the Heat... I, I would have the Heat and the Bucks as one and two. And if one of the Heat or the Bucks got the, the Nets in the first round, then that means the Heat or the Bucks or the Brooklyn Nets are out in the first round of the playoffs. Now, that is just such a luxury to have, especially as a team who... Look, I don't really think we're going to win a title, but by God, you never know. The Raptors, no one thought they could win a title. Look what happened. You never know. So I'm going to try and remain positive and try and see what's the quickest route and the easiest route to get to that final yeah. stage. Yeah. And I'm you, thinking... I mean, you you um, want a, yeah, a first round... You want a first round that you can win. Every team wants that. Just get through the first round because come second round, there's no no easy games. Um, I mean, maybe the Hawks last year was probably as easy as the second round <laughs> was going to get. So, yeah. but yeah, once if you can just get a first round that you know you you the good chances are you're going to win, then the game really starts in the second round. So to get nets in the first round is horrific for any team in in the East. Yeah, I mean, I think you know I'd want to avoid. It's the, the thing is, I think we could beat the Celtics, but the psychological factor is so in play. The Celtics <laughs> as a team, the fact that Embiid will be against Horford. Like, well, like, whilst Embiid will win that matchup, no problem. There's something could get ugly in one or two games for whatever reason with regards to Embiid trying to overdo things or just, you know, you miss your first couple shots and all of a sudden you're, live, you're trying a bit too hard. I, I don't know. That scares me. Um, yeah, Bucks, I mean, Embiid struggles against immobile big defenders doesn't he you know yeah. he, he he notoriously I mean Gasol owned him Horford you know he struggles with that he almost needs someone to be <laughs> the same as sort of build him and sort of athletic is he otherwise he does seem to struggle especially with elite what's the word like IQ kind of defenders yeah. like that clever clever so, players yeah, that's, yeah um yeah the Bucks I mean the Bucks are the Bucks they're, they're just good I, I would make the Bucks favourites in a seven-game series against us. It's not irretrievable, but that's why the, the Heat. I think of out of the the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Heat. I would want to play the Heat the most. Call me crazy. I know the playoff Heat is a different animal, but I just think I'd feel more comfortable against them. Ah, uh, it's a tough one. Is it? They are so tough. They are such a tight unit. I mean, it's it's an awful game, but I think in terms of matchup. It is a, it's friendlier towards us just because of the way we set up. I think Embiid seems to have always had a good game against Bam. Um, I might get shot by my brother there because he might pull up some stats <laughs> yeah, if he's that too this. quickly. Um, but they're just so organised. I mean, the playoffs are a different animal. And you go back to the Celtics. Celtics really stepped it up recently. Really, really stepped it up. And they're just so good defensively. And Switchy, aren't they? Ah, oh, that's... This is a thing where the Sixers are at at the minute. I don't know where they're at because, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
that, that we are as good as a starting lineup as any, in my opinion. The bench, I know you probably want to go on to this. The bench can be either just serviceable or horrific. There's no other. There's no other way about it. Yep. If you can get a serviceable game from our bench, just getting the NBA average from our defense from our bench. Sorry, um, we got a chance against anyone. We've got a chance against anyone over seven games. But yeah. when I look at all of the teams, Miami, Bucks, um, Nets, and example, they've just got players that seem to just come off the bench and they can still do a serviceable job. We don't. So yeah. I, I, um, I always think that with, with the bench stuff and, um, you know, with the Sixers in terms of volatility, I think th- their ceiling is high. I would argue to say their ceiling in the East is higher than anyone's, but their floor is lower than anyone's out of those contenders. And as a result, you've got such a wide range. Um, but with regards to the bench, I always think that, and then, you know, I look at the Suns, They've got Aiton at the five. Then they've got McGee and Biombo as backup fives. And I just sort of think, why is it we can never just get someone of those ilk? Biombo and McGee are just unspectacular at best, but they're just solid. Why is it we can't just get solid bench players? You've got people, Niang solid, Danny Green solid. Then you've got people like Korkmaz. If you told me he's in the G League in a year, fine. I mean, same with Milton. And Milton I feel sorry for because of injury, but we just don't have solid bench players and it's going to plague us um you know we could talk about the, the advantages of maybe having paul reed or charles bassey as our backup five which i'm all for because dj is you know well you know he's just not good um but that you know the bench thing really lets us down and i think that moves us to where we need to start making those moves in the off season so if it doesn't go pretty first the first question we're asking is at what point how badly does it have to go to fire doc rivers and then, well, we'll start off with that. How badly does it have to go for you to fire Doc Rivers? First round exit. Uh, I want Doc gone. I'm, I'm kind of past it now. I mean, he could prove me wrong in the playoffs, and he's definitely going to get these playoffs, obviously, to 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 see what he can do. Uh, second round would still be enough for me because the team yep. still hasn't advanced from where it was years ago. Like, you know, the, was it Ben Simmons' first season? We still got to the second round. Yeah. Um. So we're still not got there, even with an MVP candidate and another star on the team in Harden um, and a max player in Tobias Harris. Like, if, if that still isn't enough, even, you know, we've had multiple chances, I would still let him go. But I still think in the second round, he might be given another season if yeah. he get through. I mean, I have it down. What I would want, if he's not, if he doesn't get past the second round, I'd fire him. If I'm being a bit more what other people at top thinking, I think it's dependent on the nature of how we go in the second yeah. round. If we go in the second round against the Bucks, you can't really fire him. But if we go out in the second round to the Bucks after a four-nil drubbing, four-nil, four-nothing drubbing, maybe you can make a case. It is rather yeah. situational. First round, I think he has to go. Um, and then again, I'm going to segue on to off-season moves. I'm just trying to pick up the pace and where are the time. So, how I think Tobias Harris isn't going to be a sixer come next season, as much as he's improved. I just don't see it. So the one thing I've got in, which is so speculative, is how can you try and package Tobias Harris up for Bradley Beal? <laughs> it's I I know you're already laughing at me. And I, I, firstly, I, if I'm I am a gambling man, I don't see it happening. But that's what I think Daryl Morey should be trying to look at. I think you know I always we've had this conversation so many times. Bradley Beal, his time should be up in Washington. But he'd be like, no, I want to give it another world because he's a nutcase. But if, for whatever reason, the opportunity is available, inevitably you're going to have to throw in a hell of a lot of picks. Inevitably, you're going to have to throw in a young guy. Thibel, I, I think we could both agree if Bradley Bill came along, I think you're going to have to. Um, shadow. But do you put... No, you don't put Maxi in there, do you? You don't. Uh, am I being oh, too I mean, I'm being stupid, aren't I? It's so tempting because you know the potential of it, but... Right. Well, number one, the only way you're getting Bradley Bill for Tobias Harris is if Bradley Bill openly comes out and says, I only want to join Philly. That's the only way that can happen, in my opinion, because I think if Bradley just says, I want out, there's going to be way better offers on the table for Bill than what what Tobias Harris. He is is a free agent this year. I think he's going to take it because he gets more money from signs with the Wizards. But just say he just says that. I would imagine 
if he wants out, he'll probably sign and trade right because it's the only way he's going to maximise that ridiculous contract. Um, it, that is, you could still sign and trade, isn't it? Because is he eligible for the supermax now? Is that gone? Yeah, I believe I so. I believe so. That's the only reason why Washington has the advantage that he can get and, silly, silly money. And you can be traded on a supermax, right? That can still happen. I it's think very I, hard. I think you can. I, I, I'm going to mm. say you can, given the nature of because, signing trades. We've heard all the rumours, haven't we, that Harden's willing to potentially take less if he can get a third star on the team. Bradley Bill doesn't happen unless I think he openly says, oh, I'm going to Philly. Like, that's what I want. Like it or lump it, I want to go. Then you bring Washington perhaps to the table. Fireball's an absolute. I love Matisse. I love him. And I know you question even further than what the hell happens with defence. I don't think it matters if you have Bill Harden and Embiid on the same, on the same no. team. I think defence just doesn't matter. When we talk about Maxi, I don't want Maxi to go. Of course I don't. I really, really don't. But I think if it gets you Bill, do you need, you know, you'd have to resign Maxi to the bench, right, I guess? Yeah, I guess I was our sixth man. Yeah, and at that point, I love Maxi because I think he's the future. It's that kind of, if Embiid fizzles out and Harden goes elsewhere, for example, you've still got that guy there. You've got that guy there. So it's a tricky one. I think if they turned around and said there's no chance of a Bill deal unless you give us... Tobias, Maxi, and, and whatever picks. It's, it is hard to turn around and say no because that three is as terrifying as it gets in the day. Yeah. And I always um, think, I, I think with not necessarily Beal, but with a third star that, can, that of Beal's ilk that can get 20 to 25 points per game consistently and reliably, I think all of a sudden James Harden doesn't need to get us 25 to 26. He can stick on 20, 20, 22 points per game with his 10 assists, because someone else can go do the point scoring for him along with Joel, um, which I think would be for James Harden as he comes towards the twilight of his career, so to speak, where he doesn't have to exert all his energy on doing ridiculous plays and someone else can do it for him. That will be super beneficial. But, you know, that that is pie in the sky. That is something I can't imagine will happen. I just love thinking about if it could happen. Yeah, I think, obviously, that's the dream and we're allowed to dream. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the fun side. I think... I think that Daryl was very, very much trying to get off of Tobias before the trade deadline. I think I just don't think there was any takers. But for me, if you can't get that star, which I, I, unless Bill directly says he wants to join us, I don't think it's going to happen. I still think he's going to stupidly stay in Washington, which bizarre to me. But for me, if you can get off of Tobias, I, I like Tobias as a person. He's just not the right fit for this team. And no. it, it hasn't been, no matter what team, what iteration of the Sixers team he's been on, he's just always been in the way. He's, he's, it's not his fault. It's just his style of basketball just doesn't seem to fit Square with how we play. Goal. Yeah. So for me, if you can just get off him and just get some good rotation players, very, very solid rotation players, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. I really, really would. Just just more around, more space so that he's not taking up the post and doing what Tobias does. Just space the floor. So that Embiid has even more space and Harden has more room to be a playmaker would be a win for me because I like Tobias. I don't think he's, I don't want to say he's just completely hampering the team, but he's a good, good player. It just doesn't work for me. And I think we've tried it with so many teams, different iterations he's had now, and it just doesn't work. I think, yeah, I think our offense is simplifying with someone who can sit in the corner at 40% three throw shooter, three throw, three point shooter. I mean, if the Sacramento Kings finally just decide to pack it in, um, I mean, the obvious one would be maybe trying to get Harrison Barnes. Um, mm-hmm. But the Kings will try. I mean, the Sabonis trade is an indication enough that they're trying their absolute best to try and get to the playoffs. Whether or not they think Harris is a better upgrade on Barnes remains to be seen, but I can't imagine a Harris-Sabonis front court would work brilliantly. Um, it's, hard for ha- it's hard for Harris because he's not a player that you can build around. He's got a horrific contract. It, it for me would either have to be a free team trade of which a team is willing to take his dump, the salary dump for his last two years. I want to say after this, yeah, season, yeah, I think that would be willing to just take it on. I think it would need three teams at least. A, a team like I don't know OKC or someone that's building and say, I tell you what, we'll take that two years because we're not we're not in a position to challenge, and then we'll dump him or we'll do whatever. Because he's not, you know, if the Kings say, "Oh, we're going to blow it up," they're not going to want. Tobias Harris, are they? That's not a, that's not a player to build around on a max contract. Absolutely not. It's going to be very tough, and I think that's why, because from everything I read, is I think Daryl was quite was shopping Tobias. But he's a hard shift, even though he's a good player. It's contract length, and 
likelihood is to go to a rebuilding team. Yeah. Uh, who wants to buy his house? I just, yeah, I just can't think of a team that would... Even if he was on a reasonable contract, who's like, oh, Tobias Harris would be great in that team? I, I can't really think of anything. And I, I yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how Daryl handles this. I mean, I've always said, perhaps not this season's version, but maybe when he was at the Clippers, when he was at the, the Thunder, um, someone like Danilo Gallinari would be fantastic in that sort of power forward. He can just shoot, stand there and shoot and yeah. be reliable. Get. <laughs> 17 to 20 points a game, and he can do that. Um, whether or not he can still do that remains to be seen. Whether or not Hawks would even entertain a trade, I can't imagine they would. But someone of that, you know, 2018, 2019, Danilo Gallinari would be perfect as that power forward. For yeah, a, a relatively big guy that will just shoot. Which mm. What's frustrating is Tobias can be that guy. And he had a couple. he's had a couple of moments where it's like it's finally out of his head and he just catches and shoots. And, you know, he... he He's not consistent enough of a shooter, but he he done enough. He had a game not long ago where he did a bit of everything that makes Tobias Harris really good. But he's just so in his head about every shot. You can almost watch it ticking in his mind. Do I shoot? Do I pick up my dribble? Do yeah. I pass? And that's what makes him on a on a playoff team that indecisiveness is re- it really hurts you in the end. So, yeah, a player of like you say, like the Gallinari's or just. Realistically, someone get out of the way yeah. and just make make threes at a, a respectable clip, and yeah. I think we'll be more dangerous. Mm. Yeah, he just gets in his own head. I think you put it perfectly there. Yeah. I think one other guy that I this is going to sound really odd compared to the names we've just talked about. Um, it would be uh, I would love to somehow get Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope. Uh, he's he's been fantastic for the Wizards. <laughs> um, he can shoot and he can defend, and he's yeah. a veteran presence. I would I would really like to find a way to get him on the Sixers. How we do that, I do not know. But Daryl Morey will find a way to do something good, I am absolutely sure. One final thing to finish on, and it's one teensy-winsy thing, and I know like we've really gone on and I had a great time doing it, is I'm sure you're like me here. And this is this is actually end up getting a little mini rant all over again. I'm sure you'll end up like me. This City Edition Sixers jerseys are absolutely gorgeous. I want one desperately. For whatever reason, trying to get your hands on one of these is next to an impossible task. So my plea is for whatever reason, in any sports, in you know, you walk into any sports direct in the UK, as awful a company as sports direct is, you can get basically every single football team shirt from around Europe. But for whatever reason, trying to get hold of these City Edition jerseys, it's honestly easier to get hold of illicit drugs. <laughs> it's just like, what, why is this so hard? What, I beg the Philadelphia 76ers to just put more out for sale. The NBA UK store is bad at best, but you can't find it there. So my plea, my final plea for this podcast just put more of these on for sale. They they started to go on for sale again, and it would have cost me a hundred and fifty quid because I had to ship it from the United States. I can't, I can't justify that, and I'm a bad spender at best. I can't justify that. Please, someone sort this mess out and just meet demand. You, you know what you... the worst thing is? Do you know the worst thing is is that the owner of Fanatics, who run the NBA EU, EU store and Fanatics International, is the owner of the Sixers. Put (laughs) put some hardened jerseys on sale and put the city editions. It, you know, me and my brother we talk about this all the time. It's easier to just fly over to the blooming states and buy them there because he got a hoard. I've seen his hoard. He's done bits. I know. I know. (laughs) He has. He has. He's certainly made it. But no, you're right. It's so frustrating. It's like there's a lot of NBA UK fans just stock a normal amount please, because it's like they sell out and it's like, oh, well, they're gone from existence forever. Yeah. Crazy. Like, I've been looking at trying to get last year's, you know, the the black one with the outline of the Boathouse Row in Philadelphia. It, I can't find it anywhere. It's impossible to find. City Editions jerseys, once yeah. the new season started, they're gone. I want this one desperately, but it's so hard. But I digress. That is where we're going to leave that one there. <laughs> Bobby, thanks so much for coming on again. And like we said, we're going to try and sort this to get a bit more frequent, especially during the playoffs when you're going to need more of us getting getting angry again. So do you want to yeah. drop your details again for everyone, um, Bobby? Yeah, well, um, I don't really... I'm not very active on my Sixers Bobby account. So if you want to see some 
emotional tweets from the playoffs. You can find me at the Bobby Healy. That's my personal account. So probably more likely to see me chatting on there. I would also like to plug your content with regards to theme parks and roller coasters. If you didn't know, that is Bobby's side hustle. Um, so he's not only a basketball host, a uh, podcast host, he's also doing theme. Well, you can sell it better than myself. Uh, so I'll let you do that for for yourself. Yeah, just doing some theme park vlogs of walking around the, the theme parks. If you're into that kind of thing, there you go. You can find me there. Yeah, if you like Ben and you're scared of roller coasters and you need to, to, to scope them out beforehand, you can find yeah. plenty on there. So. Yeah, my, uh, my other half's taking me to Thorpe Park um, sometime soon. Never really been on one, so Bobby's been giving me some lovely counselling on that front. Um, as per usual, Good luck, mate. I'm at UK76ers. That's UK and then 76 in new, uh, in numbers and then ers. So at UK76ers, <laughs> that's been me. Um, all the best, guys. Hope to speak to you again soon.